Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Millionaire Muslim IFG's uh, podcast. And with me today, I have none other than Taha, the co-founder of Search Smartly. So with IFG, we, we love talking to startups, particularly people from a, a Muslim BME background and their stories and how you, know, you, got, you got started mm-hmm. so that you can inspire people and you know, share some of your learning with the rest of the community, uh, but also you know, share your message and what you're up to. So Taha, um, you know, maybe in a few sentences, what does Search Smartly do and what, what are you guys up to here at the London Business School? Absolutely, so you know, the property search experience is painful, it's time consuming and it's the second most stressful experience that people go through today, second only to divorce. Wow. And so our mission at Search Smartly is fundamentally to change that. So the way we do things is we try to understand what tenants, what renters are truly looking for in terms of their lifestyle needs and we use our proprietary technology to match them to the homes that best suit their requirements and save them time and stress. And equally, we create a lot of value for estate agents on the other side of the transaction because they spend a lot of time conducting yeah. unnecessary viewings or get, they get leads that don't convert. And so we're creating quality in the system, efficiency in the system, and matching people to property in a much better way. And so it's like, um, it's like a matchmaking service, yeah. but for properties. Absolutely. And you guys, I mean, what's the special thing that you get, like, you know, with a matchmaking service, mm-hmm. you've got the matchmaker who kind of has this yeah idea of how to yeah. match people up what do you guys have that helps you do that mm. absolutely so my background before i was working on this was i used to work in the world of formula one as a data really? scientist and as an engineer and a lot of the work that i did was with applied machine learning and so what search smartly is doing is we're trying to take all of the data that exists around locations and people's needs and using some of the technology that i was familiar with and that i was working with and applying that to this particular problem, which is, I would say, data rich, but probably analysis poor. Yeah, interesting. And and so you kind of take all of the different things that people will want to think about when they want mm. to move into a property yeah. and essentially analyze everything that's yeah. out there, let's say in London yeah. for now. I don't know if you guys are- Yeah, primarily London right now. Primarily yeah. London. And then you present people with seven seven options, is it? Usually uh, ten. Ten, ten options, right? Yeah. And and then they can you know they know that those options are mm. actually going to work for Absolutely. them, and they're going to suit them. Interesting. And and so how long have you guys been running? And um, you know what's mm. what's it been like? Where are you at right now? Yeah, so we've been around for about a year now. So I came to London, to London Business School to try and test this idea out. I was working on it at the concept stage uh, for about since about two years ago um, and then I wanted to be able to test it and be able to prove that there was really a need for this product so during my time at the London Business School went through a hackathon and various pitching competitions and we got really really good feedback for both from investors and from users in the process and that's what gave me the confidence to take that step forward and really make this a real business uh, and so over the last year uh, we've been incorporated the company uh, built the first prototype, uh, MVP as they call it, uh, to test it out in the market, had some good results with users, uh, raised a bit of external funding, this was about uh, nine months ago, in order to enable us to build that first product. Um, and then because of the success we had along the way, uh, and now we've partnered up with several large estate agencies nice. such as JLL and CBRE, that was the momentum that we really needed in order to be able to go and scale the company further and raise a larger round of funding. Fantastic, congratulations. Um, and was it, what led you to do your uh, MBA in the first place? I mean, mm. was, was there, 
what was the trajectory there? Yeah. We'll go into your background as well, but I just want to understand what led you to the MBA and mm. what led you to commit to switching yeah. career. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, I was working in the world of Formula One previously and I was exposed to some amazing technology and new processes that I just hadn't really known much about, particularly machine learning and data science. And the more I was working with this technology, the more I began to feel like there's got to be a much, much more impactful application for this technology than what yeah. I was doing. You know, it's exciting to make race cars go faster, but ultimately I didn't really feel that this was fulfilling enough from mm -hmm. my own personal perspective. And I identified this particular problem around real estate and property search. And so I wanted to take this technology that I was familiar with and apply it to a problem that I was passionate about. But, you know, having worked in engineering for many years and with a personal network that was totally confined to the world of engineering, right. I knew that I needed basically three things to in, order, in order to take this idea further. First and foremost, I wanted to have a network that was more uh, sort of general for business success. So having access to entrepreneurs, investors, business partners. Second, I knew that I lacked the soft skills that I would need to succeed as an entrepreneur be it you know, negotiation, learning more about strategy, finance, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. And then finally, I really wanted a, kind of like a sandbox environment in which I could test the idea rapidly and yeah. be able to really focus on search smartly. So putting these three different needs together, yeah. I realized that this was perfect for a business school environment. Yeah. So I'd be able to tackle all three of those problems and all three of those needs in one place. Yeah. So I decided to apply to different business schools I was really fortunate to get into London Business School, uh, which has a big focus and a growing focus on entrepreneurship. So, and with a lot of resources for entrepreneurs, including the incubator we're in today. And so, I came to the point where I said, you know, this is, it's very rare that stars align this way, where you have passion for an idea, you've validated some of the early sort of stages of whether there's a need for this product and you have an opportunity to take it further because you've kind of found the environment that'll allow you to do that. So I said, I'm, I'm gonna do this. Brilliant. And um, was it, when you started the MBA, so it sounds like you had a very clear idea that this is mm. what I definitely wanna do. Mm. Was there anything during the journey of the MBA, was there a tipping point where I, I know you mentioned that you had uh, certain hackathons yeah, and yeah, pitched yeah. investors and it went well. Was there a particular point where mm. you thought, this is this yeah. is it. I'm gonna commit 100 now. There were there were two moments actually. The first one was a pitching competition which the London Business School hosts called Launchpad. Now this is an initiative that was set up by the Entrepreneurship Club. The way uh, the way Launchpad works is it's a six week long think of it like, like a pre accelerator program. So okay. you come in, they tell you more about you know what is design thinking, how do you raise uh, funding from investors, how do you build a pitch deck, uh, how to pitch. And so we went through this uh, mini accelerator program and it culminated in a pitch in front of real investors, renowned VCs from London. And so we were one of about 100 people that had applied to Launchpad and we were one of 16 uh, companies nice. that were selected. And then this culminated in a pitch day with all 16 startups pitching. And in that pitch day, Search Markley was selected as the winner of that pitch competition nice. by these investors. And that was the first really sort of strong external validation from mm. business experts that we had to say that there's a need for this product, there's a market for this product, and that we should do it. So mm. that, that in itself, that external validation meant a lot to us. So we then went out and built this first prototype. 
um, to really test out whether understanding people's lifestyle needs and matching those needs against properties really creates value for users. Hmm. And that's what led the second uh, sort of point of validation that I was kind of alluding to, where we built this basic prototype, built some data science into it, and, and basically invited us users to come and test our product. One of the guys who was testing our product had spent two weeks searching for a flat in London, and that's probably very, very normal for, yeah. for London. It takes quite a lot of time. He'd spent two weeks, he'd found a flat, and he had just signed uh, the tenancy agreement on that flat that same morning before he came to us to do this okay. test. He then used our product, put in his lifestyle needs, uh, did the search, and our product then recommended the top 10 matches for his requirements. And number two on that list was that same flat that he had signed the tenancy oh, really? that same morning. Uh -huh. So that told us, for this person, it took two weeks mm. within the traditional process, mm. and it took him maybe five minutes using our product to find that home. Mm. And that's what made us say, this is what we want to achieve for everyone. Mm -hmm. Every single user should save two weeks in their search. Nice. That, I mean, that, that really does sound like a really precise yeah. you know, validation. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I completely get why having spent probably hours and days and yeah it made it worth it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely to have actually someone who actually finds this quite useful yeah um that i wanted i wanted to talk about i wanted to zoom out a bit mm. go back to um you know where you started from yeah um so you uh, you were born in pakistan mm -hmm. and you came across do you want to just tell us a bit about your background yeah uh, perhaps some, uh, you know, some business insights mm -hmm. uh, or bit entrepreneurial streaks that came yeah. out from your background. Definitely. I mean, I've, <clears throat> I've always been um, very creative, I would say. You know, as, growing up as a child in Pakistan, I was that kid who would always do something crazy for the science fair. Right. So <laughs> built like a, a toy submarine that could go underwater and come back really? underwater for my, I think, my fifth Class five science fair. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> with like with like machinery like. Or... No, it was basically a plastic bottle which had a a, a balloon inside of it and was connected see. to a straw. So I if see, you inflate the balloon, it would rise up, and if you let go of it, it would sink down, and it was weighed down by uh, several pound coins to keep it submerged. Interesting. And if you blew into it, it would come back up. So I, I was always interested in tinkering and making things. I was always this maker, um, whether it was science fairs or just in my spare time. I'd create torches out of batteries and light bulbs that I'd buy from stores. So it was always in me to try and kind of build something from nothing. Um, but it was always kind of more on the sort of technology side of things. Mm. I've always also been a numbers person, very data driven, and I was always, always into maths and science. And so growing up, um, I'd always kind of known that I wanted to learn more about engineering and science. Right. So one thing led to the other and when we, when my family moved to the UK, I knew that I wanted to study engineering um, by the time I came here. So I structured my school program by studying maths and science. Right. Uh, ended up going to uh, university at Imperial College here in London okay. to study aeronautical engineering. Again, as a boy growing up, you know, machines and cars yeah. and planes were, were what kind of excited me. And I just took that excitement to the next level by actually studying that at university. At the academic level. <laughs> at the academic level. Um, and then an amazing opportunity presented itself uh, to work, to do a summer internship in a Formula One team. Um, and I knew that these things don't really come very mm. often. Which team? This was Red Bull Racing. Okay, okay. Nice. So it was a year-long placement. Now, I was torn between, you know, interrupting my studies for a whole year versus leveraging this really interesting opportunity to work in an interesting company. Right. 
and an interesting industry. Um, cool. So I decided to, to take that, uh, that option with, with the year internship. Went there, had a really great time, got really good feedback, and was offered a full-time position nice. as a result of that. Um, also, during my, during my time at, uh, at university, I'd done one internship in banking because I wanted to kind of see what the two different worlds looked like, you know, the corporate world versus the engineering world, right. um, small company versus a really, really big investment bank. Right. I mean, the investment banking internship was really interesting because it exposed me to different business models. Mm -hmm. I was working on three or four different projects from steel in Africa to power and energy in Central Europe to airlines in Asia. So that kind of exposed me to different business models, how different companies work. And that was a very eye-opening mm -hmm. sort of business experience. Yeah. Um, and then also I entered a a pitching competition or it was, it was a business plan competition with two friends also while during while at university okay and we we won a, the judges award for that particular business plan it was kind of like uh, smart home technology so okay. energy meters before they really existed right so that was kind of interesting to see how that you missed that out. one we missed missed that boat completely <laughs> and in kind of putting all of those things together the, the interest that I had in business generally was always there but it grew over time hmm. So the more I began to think about, you know, this interesting technology and data mm. and how that can apply to businesses, the more I kind of wanted to marry those two things together rather than treating them as one or the other. Right. So went full time into, into this Formula One job after, after university and then having spent three or four years in the industry working with really interesting technology, I began to think more and more about different applications for this technology. And in parallel, I knew there were many different business problems that I could apply to. And after spending quite a bit of time doing my own research and trying to understand what I was really passionate about, I could see that machine learning and data science, i.e. my forte in Formula One, yeah. could really be applied to a problem that I was very passionate about, which was the stress of property search right. and moving home. And did you, uh, out of interest, meet any famous people during your time already? Oh yeah, I mean, used to work, uh, so I was in a, in a really interesting team which kind of sat uh, on the edges of the aerodynamics department, so the design and engineering, okay. and the racetrack. So right. the engineers were track side and the race drivers were track side. So we sat in the middle of those two departments, so we ended up working quite closely to diff with different F1 drivers, getting their feedback, turning that into actionable intelligence for the designers within the design team, hmm. and then trying to model the behavior of the car using data science, as I right. mentioned, to try and feed that back yeah. to the design team as well, so that they can understand where the car can be faster, yeah. and where it's weak, yeah, yeah. and so on and so forth. And, and were, they, um, were they quite personal? They seemed yeah. quite bright. Uh, yeah, for, for sportsmen. Ex extremely intelligent individuals, able to discern the smallest nuance in car behavior. Interesting. Things that last for milliseconds. Really? And you as an engineer can see it on the screen because you have data that's being logged yeah. at a very high frequency, but the driver has that sensory perception that I think you know most of us just don't have and that's why they're yeah. there. And they can give such precise feedback and they understand what's happening mm. and they go through uh, a lot of time with the engineers to try and understand what's happening right. um, and it's really interesting because it's one of the few sports which really kind of marries technology and really intense technology with just the pure sort of sportsman, sportsman aspect, aspect yeah. of it yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. very rare it's very uncommon and that's what I found really interesting I mean this is a really out of the box question but have you ever been in a car with um, a Formula One driver I've always wondered what it would feel like. <laughs> no, I haven't actually, no. But I have raced against a Formula 1 driver. Have you? 
um, back when I was, before I was even at university, when I was in school, um, my father took me to the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Okay. And back then, uh, there's a team called BMW, uh, and they would do this event uh, next to the racetrack where fans could come and race a remote control car around uh, a small racetrack. And the best time from all the different members of the crowd around that racetrack would then uh, go head to head with one of their Formula One drivers who would also have a race car with a, a remote control car around the same racetrack. So I had the fastest time around the remote control car racetrack. Right. So then I went head to head with remote control cars against uh, a Formula One driver who, went, who I ended up working with at Red Bull. Really? Okay. And I beat him. So that's my claim to fame. <laughs> I beat an F1 driver with race cars, but I'll just leave out the fact that they were remote control. Yeah, cars. right. No, no one needs to know <laughs> No one needs to know that. I have a similar story where um, I beat a four-time Olympic gold medalist. Uh, at, so he, he was a rower. Yeah. Um, and um, he, he was training for this event after the Olympics where they had a whole bunch of the Olympic gold medalists from Britain mm. taking part in a taking part in events that are other than theirs. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this was when I was at Oxford, and he was he lived in Oxford, so yeah. he came down, and I was in the athletics team, for yeah. shot push and javelin. I mean, not particularly good. Yeah. But uh, and that's a separate story for a while. <laughs> but uh, he turned up, and he was uh, he needed to do some shot put and javelin training, and so I beat him. <laughs> so that's my claim to fame as well. <laughs> Um, cool. So I, that, I thought it would be really interesting to get your uh, advice mm-hmm. for people who are starting out and um, what they should be looking at mm-hmm. first and foremost yeah. uh, in this journey to, well, really it's a never-ending journey, yeah. but in the journey from going from zero to at least having a revenue generating company mm-hmm. that's uh, that's got employees and is going somewhere yeah what do you think is the most important thing yeah it's, 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 there's a couple of things to really kind of keep in mind so first of all I think it's really important to really understand who you're targeting often entrepreneurs when they first start out they see a, a big opportunity and they think that this solution can be applicable to the entire market mm-hmm. you know hundreds of millions of people or yeah. billions of people and that's very tempting but I think it's a big mistake to make I think my biggest advice would be to focus on a niche and be very, very focused, very, very targeted. Try and understand your user in a very, very detailed way and go out there and talk to them. The best feedback you can get is from the customer themselves. So by really understanding whether this specific user really wants your product, that's the first sort of validation that you need as a founder. Yeah. And the second thing is, you know, will they really use it? Because often people will be nice to you yeah, and they'll yeah. say, yes, I would use it if you kind of pose a hypothetical question. Mm. But when you put a product in front of them and you ask them whether they're willing to pay for it or yeah. whether they're going to go through the friction of signing up to it and right. using it, that's where the real proof lies. Mm. And so the quicker, quicker you can get to that stage where you have something that you can test, even if it's a an Excel spreadsheet that captures mm. information. It doesn't have to be a fancy, yeah. perfect product that app you would interact with an app. It could just be something really basic that you could hack together if you know basic coding, or you could get someone on your team and spend a few hundred pounds to build a very basic prototype. Just get it out there. Get that real feedback that really matters. And taking that mental leap from being at that sort of idea, mental testing phase, yeah. to actually going out there and building something, that's probably the biggest hurdle that I 100%, find. Yeah. And, and it's it's very difficult to convince yourself 100% that this is now worth doing. 
and that's where a lot of people that end up deciding not to do something because they're just never really quite at that stage. So my honest advice would be just to jump and do it. Right. Test it out. Agreed. I think I think a lot of people actually are scared of meeting people. Yeah. Because that's where you're often pushing mm. out the comfort zone. A bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's where it's going to be make or break. Absolutely. Totally agreed. And yeah, go on. And I was just saying, you know, that that the getting negative feedback is is it should be treated in the positive, most positive way as possible. Hundred percent. And it's it's uncomfortable, right? Someone can someone can tear your idea apart if you're asking for feedback yeah. and you're exposing yourself. And I think it's best to just look past that. Try and frame any feedback you get into how can I learn from this, hmm. and how can I convert this into something that can make my idea better? Hmm. You know, the first pitching competition that I went to. It was you know the worst experience ever. Really? No one understood what I was trying to say. My pitch was horrible, and it just wasn't clear and coherent enough. But I learned from that. I mm-hmm. knew that I just need to distill this down into the real basic pieces to be able to explain it to people in a much more clear and concise way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned from that. And every pitch since then has been slightly better, slightly better. It's all incremental. You're never yeah. going to make a big jump that's going to make an amazing change in the yeah. world. It's going to be small steps. Makes sense. I I sometimes get scared when I think that I have I if I ever ever have to pitch <laughs> for IFG or something like yeah, this yeah, yeah. and fundraise and the amount of pitches that we've seen yeah. the amount of investors that we work with <laughs> the, the amount of pressure that will be on us yeah, yeah. to do a good pitch yeah yeah um, but I think inshallah we'll have people like you to rely on to <laughs> come back and just test out yeah, do Absolutely. you think this actually works Absolutely I think that's really important It's always about practice It's it's about building a good network That's the other thing that I would say. Mm. Always be connecting with more people. I think make it a rule for yourself to go out there and meet someone new and and get their feedback. And mm. there's really good apps out there like Shaper, which I think that's, where, we that's how we met. And and it can lead to amazing conversations and and such good valuable feedback that mm. I, I would never turn that down now. And now it's more like it's a habitual thing that I'm going out there trying right. to meet new people. But obviously, it's a push outside a lot of people's comfort zones. Hmm. And uh, what about once you're once you've got the idea, hmm. you you're committed to it. Hmm. The next thing, I suppose, is finding someone to work with yeah, and raising money. Hmm. And how did you go about with those challenges? Yeah, yeah. I think it's really important when it comes to building the right team to find people that are complementary to your skill sets. The easiest thing to do is work with someone that you're close to, either friends or family or work with people very close to you in your circles. So people that are familiar, similar to you, someone with a similar background, probably a similar skill set. Right. And that can, can be really damaging to the company. So, you know, obviously f- with friends and family, you are putting a lot at risk, friendships uh, and relationships. And generally it's advised against doing that because, you know, your incentives are just aligned totally differently. Mm. And then secondly, it's important to find someone that can complement your skill set, right? So finding someone that's very similar to you is unlikely to be someone who's going to complement your skill set. Mm-hmm. So you really have to kind of think about what are the three, four, five things that this company really needs to succeed in terms of skills. Right. Yeah. And see where you're the strongest and be honest with yourself. And try to identify those gaps and say, okay, I need someone who can do this, this, and this yeah. a lot better than I can. And then try and work that way. Try and say, who's going to have these skills? Obviously, if you know someone, that you've worked with previously, or a friend of a friend, so someone who's relatively close to you, who can fill that gap, that's probably the best combination that you can have, because A, you trust them, right. and B, they have the right skills, 
And then it's about, again, pitching to them uh, the same way you pitch to an investor. You really have to find people who believe in what you're doing, who can align with your mission. And that's the other important thing, to find people that are really, um, you know, who have the same North Star as you do. Right. Driven by the same values. And then once you have that team, I think that is probably the most important thing when it goes, comes to going to investors. Because at that early stage, when you're getting that first investor on the team, mm. uh, in the company actually, you know, the first thing that they're going to be investing into is the team. Because right. the idea can change, the product can evolve, the market can change to some degree as well. 100%. But what generally doesn't change are the, the people that have put this together, the team. And so they're really investing in you as a founder or as a group of founders and entrepreneurs. So having that team that is credible, works well together and has the right skill sets collectively, that's the main thing investors are going to be looking for at this stage. Yeah, it makes sense completely. I remember with, with you know, the investors that we worked with, with mm-hmm. so smartly, um, this was the, the key feedback that we got from them and we were mm-hmm. giving them as well, which is that we really like your team. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, it's, as you said, it's not ever clear that mm. the product that you start yeah. with yeah. is a product you're going to have in five yeah, years time. Absolutely. But is the team someone, is a team a unit that can adapt yeah. to circumstance? Does yeah. it have the internal capabilities mm. of being able to pivot? Yeah. And, and if they've got that, then that I think gives a lot of comfort to mm. someone who's investing in a yeah. very, very, very young company. Absolutely. And I've heard that feedback from so many different investors. That just seems to be the way people think at this stage. Yeah. And uh, do you want to talk to us about how uh, how the whole relationship mm. with with the investors work and yeah. how long does it take yeah. to build that relationship yeah, yeah, and yeah. develop and all yeah. that sort of thing? It's a great question. And we were very naive to this when we first went out there to try and fundraise. And the truth is, and working with investors is very much first and foremost establishing trust and building a good relationship. Without that, no one's going to invest in your company. And to that point, you know, some of the investors that we've worked with, you know, they would start as relationships that weren't even necessarily going to be as investor and company relationships. These were people that we trusted and we wanted to get feedback from. Right. Uh, these were people that we just wanted to work with because they could provide mm. valuable guidance. And so there's a saying that actually goes, uh, you know, seek investment and you'll get advice, seek advice and you might just get investment. Mm -hmm. So I think that's very true. Go out there and try and build relationships that mean something to you and that can create value to your company, whether it's a subject matter expert who knows something about your field that you're operating in, or they're a functional expert and they know a lot about, you know, scaling a company or they know a lot about marketing or they're generally a product or technology expert that's relevant for you. Right. And yeah. try and find these individuals that, that can create functional value, can provide you with feedback. And the more they see you growing and the more they see that you are truly dedicated to this business, yeah. the more that they yeah. see that you're a capable team, the more their comfort will grow. Right. And that's the comfort that's going to make someone say, I'm going to invest in this because mm-hmm. it's going the right way. I like the team. Um, and I want. I really want to be a part of this. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest advice at this particular point. That I makes have. sense. And how how many times do you have to meet them? Mm-hmm. And how long does that relationship have to last yeah, yeah. for you to get somewhere? Yeah. Because I I've heard uh, someone throughout that it takes about six times, six mm-hmm. to seven times. A, 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 I was at an event where there was venture capital funds, yeah. first time funds being yeah. set up, and they said that 
to go from zero to yeah. investing, mm. that's roughly the amount of time that we have that the amount of times that we have to meet them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we have to put in a lot of hours. Yeah, yeah. to get there, it does vary. It varies massively. So on the short end, we had one meeting that led to an investment immediately. Right. Someone committed at the end of the meeting to say, "I want to invest in the company." On the other hand, we've met with certain investors for maybe nine months and that didn't even lead to an investment. Wow. And constantly giving feedback, showing progress. So it can really vary a lot. And so different people have different sort of mechanisms to try and gauge whether a company is in their zone. Sometimes companies or investors want to invest in later stage companies, but they want to be having access to the company early on so they can see the trajectory. So as soon as that company yeah. is within yeah. their sort of zone, so to speak, in terms of growth yeah. or size or scale, then they'll come in. So sometimes it can it can be months and months or even years of relationship building before someone comes mm. in. Mm. And and there's no right or wrong, both from the startup's perspective and from the investor's perspective, yeah. because you really should be building those relationships over time. And do you think that uh, you should be as a startup looking for a certain kind of investor? How do you go about with your mm-hmm. search for investors? Yeah. Did you say no to people? Yes to people? Did you target yeah. people? Yeah, we definitely targeted people. So we knew that you know we wanted experts within the area of real estate, people who had previously worked uh, in the startup world, ideally, so they could provide guidance on how to scale a company, and then some level of functional expertise, potentially. So, for example, uh, there's one particular investor who so, uh, built and sold a successful startup, uh, and he's... To investing in our current round and he's a product expert so we can lean on him for user interaction user experience feedback right. on how the product feels yeah so we knew that we could get value from this particular investor in a very specific area so what I would do is you know try and figure out who are the top 20 30 investors that you would love to be working with based on the other companies they've worked with uh, or the experience or value they could provide uh, to your business and be really focused on that targeting um, if they don't invest, they might know someone else who would be in a better stage or might be better suited to the company. And always, you know, if even if you have a meeting that turns into a no, always just ask for a few leads because investing and fundraising mm. is very much a lead uh, yeah. limited business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the moment you run out of leads, your ground will come to a halt. So if someone says, "Look, I really like this idea, but it's a little bit early for me," or something relatively positive but not an investment then ask them you know okay thanks a lot i really appreciate your feedback would you be willing to connect me with one or two people in your network that might be interested Mm. it's a small but actionable number one Mm. or two Mm. and that means that that no will turn into another set of leads Mm. Uh, and because you had a positive conversation the individual you spoke to will want to maintain that connection with you they'll want to help out someone else in their network who might be looking to invest in an early stage company So the likelihood is they will say yes. You might have to chase them up a little bit, but you'll get those leads. Harass them. Yes, absolutely. Extremely hard. Absolutely. That's the other thing. You know, being uh, relentless in in your in your drive to just get what you want is so important at this stage because you will, your life will be filled with ninety nine percent of no's mm. and that one percent of yeses. Yeah. So you just have to just keep pushing and getting people to that yes. And how does this whole thing impact? speaking more personally how mm-hmm. does this impact in terms of your relationships yeah. in terms of maybe your spirituality yeah, your, absolutely. You know, your religion and all that side, yeah. side of things yeah. absolutely I think you know having faith in yourself and, and your network uh, and, and that things will work out 
is probably the most important thing, especially in a startup environment where there is no guarantee and certainly no evidence that you know this is going to succeed, right? Mm. So having that sort of being centered and balanced and and knowing that things will work out is probably the most important thing from a from a from a from a self management perspective because yeah. it is very stressful. Um, you'll have you know. In, in a typical corporate role, you have ups and downs and they can be very sort of taxing on, on people. But then in the startup world, you probably amplify that by, by 2x because yeah. everything is in your hands. You often don't know who to turn to. Um, and so really kind of being centered and balanced is, is super important. Cool. And how many, uh, how many hours do you spend on Cert Smartly these mm-hmm. days? And uh, how many people do you have in the team? Yeah. And where are they based? How does it all practically work? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of hours, probably the longest I've ever worked. But really? the thing is, and that's what I love about it, is that because when you're passionate about something and you really feel like, you know, you are doing something that will make a difference, the hours don't feel like you're working as such. You know, right. I'm totally comfortable going home late at night, having dinner, and then opening my laptop back again because that's just what I want to be doing. And there's no one telling me to do it, but I'll do it because I'm passionate about it. Um, and that's, I think that's true for a lot of early stage companies. Everyone's really kind yeah. of driven, motivated to make this happen. Hmm. Uh, the team right now, there's three of us uh, and we're growing to five soon. Um, and we're based at the London Business School Incubator, which is in Baker Street. Um, so it's an incubator program that's run by the London Business School, of which I'm an alumni. And so we have office space for just under a year. So we have this office until August uh, 2019, nice. uh, which is really great, really good location. A lot of our customers and clients are in this area. A lot of tenants search for properties in this area as well. Okay. So it puts us right in the heart of the action and it's just a great place to be. Um, so really enjoying it. And do you, uh, is the incubator something that you have to pay for? Is it worth it? What would you say about yeah, that? Yeah, so this incubator program is fantastic, not only because of the value it provides, but the fact that there's no cost, right. okay. neither cash nor equity. So it really is a, an initiative by the London Business School to try and increase its own stature amongst the entrepreneurship community, to try and encourage founders mm. within the business school community to f- start something that they're passionate about, right? Mm. Because when you come to business school, there's so many different exit options. You could go into a really high-paying investment banking role, you could go into consulting. So you sold. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many opportunities and the opportunity cost is so high for a lot of people here that, you know, Sometimes they just say, you know, there's this risk that I could take with a startup that might never work or I could take a well-paying, stable job. And I think the business school has realized that people that have that skill set are really well suited to starting companies. But we need to create an opportunity that really makes it easy for them to say yes yeah. Yeah. To, to do that, to doing that. And so the business school incubator is, is one of those sort of mechanisms that yeah. they're trying to encourage people. No, it makes sense. I think a lot of this is the same kind of tussle that people have when they graduate as well, mm. especially from good universities yeah. where the the corporates, uh, especially in the investment banking mm. and legal and professional yeah. worlds, yeah. Yeah. they have a really clear yeah. roadmap for you yeah. and they will chuck money at you to mm. get you there yeah. and, uh, and they make it very prestigious. I mean, it is fairly prestigious, yeah. but because of that, you... Uh, you are very easily led to going for the safer option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's at the detriment, frankly, to the individual themselves sometimes and also 
potentially to the wider economy. Yeah. Because really, what what leads to real growth in an economy mm. is entrepreneurship Absolutely. and innovation. It's not uh, providing services. Yeah. And it's not uh, being a broker or mm. whatever. I think all of those things are very useful yeah. to an economy, but it's not. You know the real spark yeah. has to be from you know pro- providing solutions to real problems. Absolutely, um, Absolutely. And I suppose really to wrap up, um, where can people find you, and um, where how can they use Search Smartly? Yeah, so um, Search Smartly is available at www.searchsmartly.co.co, um, and you can come on the website. You'll have a very quick onboarding process, take you about two minutes to input your needs. Cool. And then our algorithm will go out there and try and find the best home for your requirements. Um, and if there's any entrepreneurs out there that want to reach out for advice, tips, or guidance, you can just find me. Uh, you can email me at taha at searchsmartly.co, or you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, or you can just send a, a message via our website, uh, and I'll be more than happy to. I think they can turn up at the London Business School and start knocking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm always happy to grab a coffee in Baker Street as well. I know all the good coffee shops right oh, there. Which so. one do you recommend? I'm a really, really big, big fan of Saint Espresso. It's just by the tube station. It's okay. a really small, tiny place which has hardly enough seating for five people, but it's really interesting. Good. Well, I'll have to check it out because yeah, I was yeah. I was thinking about getting it on the way in. Yeah. And then I uh, then I got I went the wrong way <laughs> <laughs> to kind of run. To get here at the right and it was time. Well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, um, Daha, it's been a pleasure, and Thank you, um, it's been. I mean, I've I've known you for a while now, yes, um, and yeah. it's been it's been really good to work with you. And you know, uh, you know, with with IFG, we do a lot of matching up of investors yeah. and entrepreneurs, and it's funny how I think ninety percent of our time goes into entrepreneurs that are probably going to struggle mm-hmm. or or not make it mm-hmm. um, and 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 then the 10% of the time yeah. people like you who are just ready uh, <laughs> for investment You're very kind. <laughs> and and it just makes our life so much easier but but you know we the reason why we do all of this is is actually to try and help the Muslim yeah. community yeah. so we still do put in that 90% Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. with with entrepreneurs and you know inshallah those guys will get there as well uh, uh, at some point thanks so much and the industry needs people like you because breaking down those barriers and the friction that exists in the process between entrepreneurs with great ideas and investors who can help grow them you know that's really important so thanks for everything no no ahead. Um, and uh, yeah finally you guys uh, if you have found uh, Daha um, uh, his insights uh, useful then please do reach out to him do check out Search Smartly and uh, do leave us a review on iTunes uh, that's always very helpful and uh, we look forward to um, connecting with you in our next podcast Assalamu Alaikum